Hello, my name is Ben Jenkins and welcome back to another episode of the New Gate Radio Podcast. This is part two of a two-part series talking about the fundamentals of blood gases. If you haven't listened to the first one, I'm sort of broke down to do with the big concepts of what is a blood gas, how do we collect it, how we'll be running the gas itself, the differences between arterial and venous samples, and then sort of rounding out with what are some of the, the big standout-ish type um, results that we're getting off of a blood gas. Now, as I sort of mentioned in the last episode, today's episode was all about how are we interpreting these blood gases, especially when it comes to the respiratory acid-base portion of it, so we can start manipulating ventilatory settings in order to uh, best manage the patient and their needs. Now, if this is probably, <laughs> I've tried recording this episode now quite a number of times, and the reason I'm finding it challenging is that you can go into incredible depth on this topic. Doctors can come away and talk for hours on this. You can have multiple lectures based upon this. You can take this concept right down to the cellular level in terms of why things are happening the way that they are. So normally the way that people will learn to interpret the respiratory acid-base portion of this is that you'll start by, number one, talking about what a normal range is. So, for example, normal pH is 7.35 to 7.45. Normal uh, PCO2 is 35 to 45 millimeters of mercury. So, again, you're going down the list and you're learning what is normal and what is abnormal. From there, we can start looking at how, uh, again, looking big concepts such as uh, when the body is trying to compensate, the first thing that we do in the very short term is our respiratory system kicks in. We're either going to breathe faster or we're going to slow down our breathing. And then coming over a number of hours to days is when our kidneys start kicking in and that's when bicarbonate starts to uh, have a have bit of a factor within this as well. And then we start learning how those interactions work. We can start to go, okay, well, if uh, pH is out of normal uh, and we start seeing respiratory changes but uh, bicarbonate levels are not out of normal, well, then we're going to have a respiratory either alkalosis or acidosis. Now, in that concept, then you've, you've taken away that. Beautiful. We start learning that step. You put a name on it. Then the next step from there is to go, beautiful. You've got a respiratory acidosis. Is there partial or is there full compensation via the metabolic system in some way? So, again, there's, there's layer upon layers. But then you get to the next step, which is then understanding why this is all happening. What's caused this to happen? You can go right down into the cellular level. And it's challenging not to just go down and you can really find yourself, as I have found over the last few hours, just really going down a rabbit hole of, of going into so much depth. But again, the whole purpose of this third season is just to take someone who has never, ever worked uh, with analyzing blood gases before and to try to provide you a framework of things that you can at least come up to the machine, have an understanding of why you're doing it, and to at least acknowledge the red flags and in terms of when we need to start contacting someone. So that is the purpose of today's episode. So just like everything within intensive care, the way that we're going to interpret this blood gas is based upon and using a systematic approach. So I guess the first thing to, to start considering, just like as I mentioned in the last episode, what is the reason of why we're taking this blood gas? Something's clued on to say we need to be running it in the first place. Now, is that going to be now we're noticing someone's blood pressure is going down, heart rate's going up, and they've come off for surgery. So I'm considering what the trend of their hemoglobin's doing. Are we starting to notice different electrical activity come up on the screen, uh, which wasn't there before, or it's getting worse? So what is their potassium? Uh, we're noticing a change in someone's oxygen saturations um, spontaneously, for example. So we've, we've turned the we haven't turned the patient recently. We've had a good listen to their lung fields and 
nothing's really striking, yet all of a sudden their oxygen saturation starts going down. You're just like, well, why? We've already suctioned the patient. Nothing's really coming up. What's the reason why that's the case? So running it for that way, or if maybe we've cha- we've just recently uh, changed someone's ventilatory settings. We're wanting to see if what we've done is making a difference. So having an understanding of why is a really good start. Then once we've run the gas, uh, we'll obviously starting with those big ones we mentioned last time. We know that it's arterial or venous sample. This is the correct patient's details. Let's let's move on. So to start up front, let's talk about some of the things that we can have an impact on, or that we some of those big red flags straight away. So. As we're going down the list, I'll start to type. Then I guess I'll start again. We're going to say that there's so much information that you, when you look and pick it up for the first time, you've never seen a blood gas strip. There is a lot of information on it, and if you start taking it all in at once, well, then it, it can start to feel a little bit overwhelming. So I'm going to start talking about the particular readings uh, that if you look at um, and start learning the the particular parameters for it. I'll start talking about big changes and small changes, and when we need to start talking to the doctor from here so some of the big ones to start looking at straight away so we're looking at a ph pco2 po2 and bicarb looking at hemoglobin sodium potassium glucose and lactate and i'll talk through why so starting with when it comes to acid base ph now we've sort of mentioned at the beginning of this episode that we can start to go into depth about number one is the ph within normal or not is it acidotic or is it alkalotic? Then we can start also looking at whether this is, uh, is there any, um, is it partial or full compensation? All of that stuff is, is really nice to know and it's something that you'll develop with time. But let's talk about the things that you can do right now. With pH, just like everything else I mentioned, what is the trend? Has there been a monstrous change within a short period of time? There really shouldn't be, but... If you've, the last gas is showing that someone's pH was within normal and now we're starting to notice that it's not within normal anymore and it's quite a little bit different. So the last one is 7.35 and now we're starting to notice that this is 7.1 something. So there's a bit of a change there. Something's going on and something's brewing. So that is the sort of piece of information that you can now start taking to the doctor and saying, look, this was the last gas uh, with, a, with a slip. So you get the previous gas and you bring that along with you to the doctor and you're showing the differences. And I'll give a bit more of a crystal clear explanation of how we're going to do that using another example in a sec. Uh, so another big one. So we're looking at CO2. CO2 is something that we can have a direct play as a registered nurse. Again, normal is seven point three. Ah, sorry, normal for CO2 is thirty-five to forty-five millimeters of mercury. If we're noticing that someone is respiratory, uh, their CO2 is less than thirty-five, so their CO2 is low. A really easy thing that we can do is to manipulate someone's ventilatory rate. So if we've got someone ventilated at 14 breaths per minute and their CO2 is now uh, 32, something that we could do is to be able to um, turn down that respiratory rate. So we might go back down to 12 breaths per minute in order to be able to stop blowing off as much carbon dioxide. So then what we'll do is we'll go back to the ventilator, we uh, make that adjustment and we'll give it a little bit of time. Let's see if let's see if there's any differences to someone's end title. Maybe that will start to to come up a little bit more. Uh, but again, we might come back in 15 minutes, half an hour's time, and you might run it again and see if there's been a difference. Uh, conversely, let's just say someone's CO2 is higher, so it's above the 45 something. So in other words, we're not breathing enough. So we might change that 14, and we might now change it to 16 breaths per minute. Um, the, how the degree and how quickly we're changing that respiratory rate 
it's going to depend on what sort of measurement that we had. If we're noticing that the the respiratory rate or the CO two now is at fifty, and before it was at forty, uh, like. 39 40 uh, well then obviously that's a big bloody change and that's something we'd be loading the doctor to say that's been a big change but again you might up it that little bit more uh, but again we'll be measuring that and do a repeat blood gas in that amount of time i sort of mentioned before to see if what we we're doing is making a difference uh, another big one that we can have a, a good play and be able to adjust ourselves as well is to be the the pao2 the po2 the oxygen so something that, again, if you've got someone ventilated, um, normal room air is 21% oxygen. We can uh, deliver FO2 and titrate it up to 100%. Uh, and so it's a matter of looking at what was their PO2 before. So it was it between the 80 and 100, which is normal. And now we're starting to notice that there's a drop and now it's coming down to 70. The PO2 that we're at the... So oxygen saturations, that might be a reason why we looked at the first place that oxygen saturations may be coming down. That's what sparks us on. Yep, okay, there's been a change in um, partial pressure of oxygen. That's come down. What we might do now is we have a good look at what the FiO2 is currently. Maybe they're, they're on 30% of FiO2. We might now change that up to 40%. And then we're going to have a look again very soon and seeing whether that has improved the situation or not. Has that brought there? PO2 uh, back within normal limits of that 80 to 100. But again, measuring trends and making sure when we make that adjustment on the ventilator that we're having a look and seeing if that is improving or not. Is that changing the situation? That's also something that we'd mention to the doctor. Mate, it's not necessarily going to be, if you're noticing the doctor's in doing procedures and they're all busy and they're off doing a whole bunch of stuff, that's not something that we're going to be calling up straight away and saying, look, there's been a massive change. But again, keeping them aware is always going to ear you on a, on a better side. Uh, and that might be something that if you see them passing along, just to call out and say, hey there, just letting you know that this is what I've just recently done. Um, but again, it depends on the situation of what's going on. Uh, hemoglobin. Um, with hemoglobin, it's a, it's going to be, again, depending on text, it's going to depend what's sort of normal. Um, but let's just say for the, for the sake of this, that normal is going to be uh, 100, um, 100 millimoles, uh, sorry, 100 grams per liter. Uh, if we're noticing on a trend, so we're starting to notice the whole clinical picture we're looking at. So we're noticing someone's blood pressure is getting a little bit worse and their heart rate's going up that little bit more and uh, their chest drains aren't maybe draining that as much as what they initially were. And we're now starting to look at, okay, well, what, what is their hemoglobin? The hemoglobin might have started. The last gas that you took a couple of hours ago was at 100 and now we're noticing that the blood gas is now at 80. So there has been a bit of a drop. So now I'll start talking about how we're approaching the doctor. So in that sort of circumstance with a drop of 20, that that is now significant and now we're going to alert the doctors. So that's something where we're going to take this blood gas and we're going to come up to the doctor and say, hi, just letting you know, my, again, my name is Ben. I'm looking after the patient in bedroom 14. They've just come off surgery a few hours ago. The last blood gas, as you can see here, the, the hemoglobin was at 100. Um in this case, I'm just noticing that it's now at 80. Uh, I'm, I'm noticing at the bed space that the patient's blood pressure has gone from this to this and their heart rate has gone from this to this and their drains aren't draining as much. They were draining this amount to start with and now they're draining this amount. So in other words, the way that we're approaching the doctors to give them the information is as vitally important as actually giving them the information in the first place. 
if you can collate the information all together and bundle it and then provide that to them, the doctors can then make their decisions based upon that as well. Just it helps the situation. But again, what I've mentioned then comes with time. But you know, hopefully that you can understand why I've sort of packaged it in that sort of way uh, and, it, and it does make a difference. Um, from there, the doctors then may be considering, you know, just allow like and then this is a big big part of it as well having the doctors giving you particular parameters is exceptionally important uh, not everything not every patient within intensive care is going to have n numbers within normal and they can be outside of normal for a bit of time but it's being aware of talking with your doctors of when you when they would like for you to alert them it's okay up to a certain point they're aware of it they know that something's out of normal but hope that, make sure that we're sort of talking with them and sort of saying, at what stage do you want me to come and talk to you? And then you're writing that down in your notes to say this is a conversation that just went by and then making sure that you are keeping on top of it, that you are alerting them if things do start to change. Uh, another big ones is uh, looking at sodium. We do give a lot, quite a lot of fluids within intensive care and um, I could be talking about all sorts of different policies like traumatic brain injuries and trying to keep sodiums within certain levels, but... I guess something to consider, again, normal is between 135 and, and 145. Um, if you have big changes in sodium really quickly, that can have bad effects to the patient. You can go as far as, as um, stripping myelin sheaths. So that's obviously not very good. So if you're noticing changes and it was uh, 135 and now we're noticing that it's at oh, 150, for example, that's obviously probably a little bit unrealistic in a short few hours. But again, it's a big change in a short period of time using that same approach to go to the doctors and say, hey, this is what I'm noticing. This is the blood gas it was before. This is what it is now. This is the change I'm noting. makes a huge difference. But one big one that I do want to talk up front is going to be potassium. Within the particular hospital that I worked in, there was a particular guideline that we used um, in which basically said that if a, if a patient um, has, come, so there was a high-risk protocol and a low-risk protocol, that if someone's potassium is below that normal if it is between this marker and this marker. So let's just say, oh my God, it's so specific. Let's just say that their, their potassium was low, but it was within these particular um, ranges of low, then you can give this amount of intravenous potassium. Uh, and then you obviously have go back and you'll reassess it and see if it's getting better or worse. But again, there was guidelines in place to say that if it's between here and here, you can give this amount. If it's even lower than that, it's between here and here, give this amount and also obviously be alerting the doctors as well. Um, but again, understanding what your, your hospital's policies play by is also vitally important. Um, the next one is coming down to, to glucose. Glucose, a lot of patients within intensive care, um, especially when they're diabetics as well, can be on um, continuous insulin infusions. Yeah. Uh, you're not always going to keep patients' blood sugars within four to eight. You're not going to always keep them within normal. Uh, this is one of those prime examples of uh, patients' normal can be outside of normal uh, and that there are particular guidelines that your hospital may have which says if their blood glucose is between this amount and this amount and then their uh, act rapid or their insulin infusion should be increased by this amount uh, to keep them within these sort of particular readings. So. Uh, again, the last one is looking at lactate. Lactate is not something that we can do straight away. So like I just sort of mentioned with glucose, with um, uh, insulin infusions, the guideline is there in order to say if it's between this amount and this amount, then you need to have the act rapid going at this. So you literally go back and you up it or down it to meet that sort of 
parameter. Lactate's one of those ones that, again, normally we start going over that two mark, so lactate greater than two millimoles. It's usually something's like, okay, let's obviously something's going on with this patient. But if you're starting noticing big changes, so it's gone from two up to three and a half to four, well, that's a, it's a bit of a jump. So that's something that you would be contacting the doctor and saying, hey, look, I've noticed that this is the blood gas, this is where it is now my patient looks like and again you're the one at the bed space as the registered nurse you're noticing all these different changes and it can provide some really useful information for doctors to make decisions upon uh, by providing more that information as well so anyway guys i hope you've uh, enjoyed this little recap of oh this sort of overview of uh, blood gases again there, there could be so much more depth you could go into but i think what i've sort of mentioned here can at least be a uh, a base like that that can be something that you can take away from today and hopefully be able to apply especially if you've never used blood gases before and i hope i was able to provide a decent way of being able to take that information and then being able to approach the doctor and sort of explain why you've done it who you're looking after and the notes and the changes and what you're seeing and also we're talking about with the patient at the bed space too um, with this episode today i'm going to be linking in a bunch of resources things that are going to take it a lot deeper uh, and also some some helpful little games as well one of them is um, abg ninja it's, it's something that i've used for a couple of years now it's a free website which allows you to um, uh, be able to look at okay if some uh, they give you measurements of ph uh, pco2 and bicarb and um, it's all like they just feed you on and then you go in there and try to make your interpretation that will show you if you're right or wrong and, and sort of if, if you're not on the right track will help to guide you and steer you into it and I, I found that really helpful when I was learning um, but there are some excellent resources out there of people who go into some decent depth and explain it really well so hopefully that works so anyway guys if you have any questions or feedback let me know otherwise I'll get back to you very soon